I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we're reading 2 Kings chapters 1-4. through 4. This is the new King James Version of the podcast. The King James Version is also available. In 2 Kings chapter 1, clumsy Ahaziah looks for a positive prophetic word. Verse 1, Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and was injured. So he sent messengers and said to them, Go inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this injury. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say to them, Is it because there is no god in Israel that you are going to inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron? Now therefore thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah departed. And when the messengers returned to him, he said to them, Why have you come back? So they said to him, A man came up to meet us and said to us, Go return to the king who sent you and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed, to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. Then he said to them, What kind of man was it who came up to meet you and told you these words? So they answered him, A hairy man wearing a leather belt around his waist. And he said, It is Elijah the Tishbite. Then the king sent to him a captain of fifty with his fifty men. So he went up to him, and there he was sitting on the top of a hill. And he spoke to him, Man of God, the king has said, Come down. So Elijah answered and said to the captain of fifty, If I am a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty men. And fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. Then he sent to him another captain of fifty with his fifty men. And he answered and said to him, Man of God, thus has the king said, Come down quickly. So Elijah answered and said to them, if I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty men. And the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. Again he sent a third captain of fifty with his fifty men. And the third captain of fifty went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and pleaded with him and said to him, Man of God, please let my life and the life of these fifty servants of yours be precious in your sight." Look, fire has come down from heaven and burned up the first two captains of fifties with their fifties, but let my life now be precious in your sight. And the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him, do not be afraid of him. So he arose and went down with him to the king. Then he said to him, Thus says the Lord, Because you have sent messengers to inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron, is it because there is no god in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Ahaziah died according to the word of the Lord which Elijah had spoken, because he had no son, Jehoram became king in his place, in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. 
Now the rest of the acts of Ahaziah, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? Well, we get our bearings here in verse 1 when it says, Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. Of course, Ahab's son, Ahaziah of the northern kingdom, well, he's evil also. His reign began back in 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 51. So King Ahaziah here falls through the lattice in his upper chamber. Ouch, that's got to hurt. Bedridden, he sends messengers to Ekron, that's a Philistine town, there to inquire of their god Baalzebub regarding his recovery. Ahaziah's mama was Jezebel. She'd kept 850 Baal Asherah prophets on hand, but Elijah had them all executed. Now, apparently, the closest pagan prophet Arush shop is 40 miles away under the protection of the Philistines. This Beelzebub was the Philistine sun god, the name itself meaning the Lord of the Flies, apparently a name associated with the flies that swarm beginning in the spring in Palestine. Theoretically, Beelzebub could deliver them from these flies. It's generally believed that the Beelzebub of the Gospels, regarded by the Jews to be the prince of the devils, is a reference to this same Philistine god. We see that Elijah gets the call from God to intercept Ahaziah's messengers who are headed to Ekron and tell them God's word on the situation. And here it is. You're going to die. Whoops, they forgot all about getting the name of that bad news prophet. After King Ahaziah's query of them regarding the prophet's signature look, they describe him as a hairy man wearing a leather belt around his waist, well, he realizes, hey, that's Elijah. Ahaziah sends a captain and 50 men to bring Elijah back for a second opinion. The bossy captain comes up on Elijah there, sitting on a hill, and commands him to come down. Swoosh, fire burns the 51 men up at Elijah's command. Ahaziah then sends another bossy captain and 50 more. Swoosh again. Then 51 more, but with a captain that wasn't so bossy this time. Well, as a matter of fact, he was even quite humble before Elijah. God puts his stamp of approval on the trip to Samaria, and Elijah returns with them to Ahaziah to give his prophetic word. Same message firsthand in verse 16 when he says, Thus says the Lord, Because you have sent messengers to inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron, is it because there is no god in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die." And then he does die. So Ahaziah died because he rejected the one true God and sought after Beelzebub instead. So then we have a summary of king number eight over Israel, Ahaziah. The report on him in the yellow box there, 853 to 852 B.C. No good specified, all bad in 1 Kings chapter 22, verses 52 and 53. Then we get the prophet of God, Elijah. He's swept up in a tornado in 2 Kings chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. And it came to pass when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. 
Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? So he answered, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. And fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance, while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, and struck the water. And it was divided this way and that, so that the two of them crossed over on dry land. And so it was, when they had crossed over, that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask, What may I do for you before I am taken away from you? Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So he said, You have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Then it happened, as they continued on in talk, that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan, Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had also struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. Now when the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed on the ground before him. Then they said to him, Look now, there are fifty strong men with your servants. Please let them go and search for your master, lest perhaps the Spirit of the Lord has taken him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, You shall not send anyone. But when they urged him till he was ashamed, he said, Send them. Therefore they sent fifty men and searched for three days, but did not find him. And when they came back to him, for he had stayed in Jericho, he said to them, Did I not say to you, Do not go? Well, Elijah and Elisha, his understudy, they're walking first to Gilgal, when Elijah suggests that he go on up to Bethel by himself, a trip of about 13 miles, four hours or so by foot. Elisha is determined to go with him to Bethel, where they meet the Bethel chapter of the sons of the prophets, and they give Elijah some big news. Elisha is making the big trip today's their news. Elijah then tells Elisha he's now headed for Jericho, back eastward to where Gilgal was located, another four-hour trip. Elisha is determined to go too, where they meet the Jericho chapter of the sons of the prophets, who spout the same news to Elisha as the first group regarding Elijah's big departure. Elisha is then informed by Elijah that he's going to the Jordan, about an hour away by foot, Well, Elisha too. Elisha makes a request of Elijah. He says, give me a double portion of that which you have from God. Elijah replies that if Elisha sees Elijah when he is supernaturally taken up, he'll get his double portion. Then shortly afterward, the big event takes place. Elijah parts the Jordan with his cloak and is caught up to heaven in a tornado 
with chariots of fire in it. It all takes place right before Elisha's eyes. Elisha was prepared, though. Ask Elijah for that double portion of what Elijah had before his departure, and he gets it. So, with Elijah gone now, how does Elisha get back across the Jordan River? Well, he'll just test drive his new double portion blessing, and he'll part it himself using Elijah's cloak. Elisha, you're the man now, God's main prophet with a double portion of that which Elijah had. The Gilgal-Jericho chapter of the Sons of the Prophets, after seeing the whole thing, they insist that they must look for Elijah just in case God had decided to deposit him upon a mountain or some such. Even though Elisha says there's no point in doing so, they look for Elijah for three days, but to no avail, he's gone. Well, don't be making fun of Elisha. We see that in verses 19 to 25 of chapter 2. Verse 19, Then the men of the city said to Elisha, Please notice the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the ground barren. And he said, Bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the source of the water and cast in the salt there and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From it there shall be no more death or barrenness. So the water remains healed to this day, according to the word of Elisha, which he spoke. Then he went up from there to Bethel, and as he was going up the road, some youths came from the city and mocked him and said to him, Go up, you bald head! Go up, you bald head! So he turned around and looked at them, and pronounced a curse on them in the name of the Lord. And two female bears came out of the woods and mauled forty-two of the youths. Then he went from there to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. Well, Elisha's first act is to fix the water supply in Jericho. Nothing a little salt and a big miracle won't fix. Bingo, it's done. As Elisha is walking along the road, a pack of unruly children start calling him names. Well, one name in particular. They call him, you bald head. Kids will be kids, right? Well, not these kids, not after today. Elisha summons two bears to come and tear the kids limb to limb. Apparently, it's not nice to call a prophet names. By the way, baldness was undesirable back then. We see that in Isaiah chapter 3. Just a conjecture, but you'll recall that Elijah was quite a hairy man, according to Second Kings chapter 1, verse 8. Now, here comes Elijah's replacement, a bald man, Elisha. Perhaps that was an amusing contrast to these kids, who seemed to lack the proper respect that should have been extended to a prophet of God. Obviously, Elijah's prophetic powers had nothing to do with his hair. So how young were these youths of verse 23? Well, the Hebrew word for use there is na'ur, which is used 239 times in the Old Testament. In many of those references, it's translated as young man. However, the Hebrew adjective kaltan further verifies the relative youth of these antagonists. Based upon the usage of these Hebrew words elsewhere in the Old Testament, it may be safely deducted that these were probably teenagers who taunted Elijah. In 2 Kings chapter 3, we see that those pesky Moabites rebel against Israel. Verse 1, Now Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel at Samaria in the eighteenth year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned twelve years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and mother, for he put away the sacred pillar of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he persisted in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. He did not depart from them. Now, Misha, king of Moab, was a sheep breeder, 
and he regularly paid the king of Israel one hundred thousand lambs and the wool of one hundred thousand rams. But it happened when Ahab died that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So king Jehoram went out of Samaria at that time and mustered all Israel. Then he went and sent to Jehoshaphat king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? And he said, I will go up. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Then he said, Which way shall we go up? And he answered, By the way of the wilderness of Edom. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they marched on that roundabout route seven days. And there was no water for the army nor the animals that followed them. And the king of Israel said, Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here, that we may inquire of the Lord by him? So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Then Elisha said to the king of Israel, What have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. But the king of Israel said to him, No, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. But now bring me a musician. Then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. And he said, Thus says the Lord, Make this valley full of ditches. For thus says the Lord, You shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain. Yet that valley shall be filled with water, so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. Also you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city, and shall cut down every good tree, and stop up every spring of water, and ruin every good piece of land with stones. Now it happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered that suddenly water came by the way of Edom, and the land was filled with water. And when all the Moabites heard that the kings had come up to fight against them, all who were able to bear arms and odor were gathered, and they stood at the border. Then they rose up early in the morning, and the sun was shining on the water, and the Moabites saw the water on the other side as red as blood. And they said, This is blood. The kings have surely struck swords and have killed one another. Now therefore Moab to the spoil." So when they came to the camp of Israel, Israel rose up and attacked the Moabites, so that they fled before them, and they entered their land, killing the Moabites. Then they destroyed the cities, and each man threw a stone on every good piece of land and filled it, and they stopped up all the springs of water and cut down all the good trees. But they left the stones of Kirharaseth intact. However, the slingers surrounded and attacked it. And when the king of Moab saw that the battle was too fierce for him, he took with him seven hundred men who drew swords to break through to the king of Edom, but they could not. Then he took his eldest son, who would have reigned in his place, and offered him as a burnt offering upon the wall. And there was great indignation against Israel. So they departed from him and returned to their own land. Well, Ahaziah's brother Jehoram is now king of Israel. He's king for twelve years. And Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah. As son of Ahab and Jezebel, Jehoram is also evil before God. He was an idol worshiper just like Jeroboam. 
but not as bad as his parents because of his rejection of Baal. And if you're looking at the written notes of BibleTrack.org for today, I have a summary of the king number 9 of Israel, Jehoram, from 852 to 841 B.C. He was evil, but not as evil as Ahab and Jezebel, his parents. Jehoshaphat was a good king, king of Judah. Jehoram's dad, Ahab, had the Moabites paying tribute to Israel, but the Moabite king decides to stop paying after Ahab's death. Jehoram gets Jehoshaphat to go with him to put down the Moabite rebellion. Jehoshaphat and Ahab had a mismatched relationship with one another. I say it's mismatched because Ahab was extremely wicked and Jehoshaphat served the one true God of Judah, Jehovah, also Yahweh, known as, interestingly enough, Jehoshaphat's son Jehoram and successor was married to Ahab and Jezebel's evil daughter, Athaliah. Those must have been some action-packed family reunions. Jehoram seems to be navigator as they choose a route that he feels will give them a battle advantage when they finally get to the, meet the Moabites. His strategy was to march through Judah around the southern edge of the Dead Sea and approach Moab from the south. As they're traveling through the land occupied by the Edomites east of Judah, they pick up the king of the Edomites along the way. One problem, though, as they're headed through the wilderness of Edom on their way to Moab, they run out of water. They call for Elisha the prophet who miraculously provides water for the troops and the animals. Oh, one more thing. Elisha reluctantly prophesies victory over the Moabites. He would have declined to offer the prophecy at all because of Jehoram's pagan worship, but does so because of Jehoshaphat's commitment to the one true God. The Moabites mistakenly think that some redness in the water they saw, it resembled blood to them, that it must mean that the three kings had turned on each other. These less-than-smart generals lead the Moabites to do a preemptive strike, and they're defeated. Subsequently, they flee, just as Elisha had prophesied. The three kings go into all the Moabite cities and put down the rebellion, except for one, that is. The Moabite king is uh, holed up in Kir Haraseth. He puts up a fight against the combined forces, but he's not successful. In a last-ditch effort to save himself, the Moabite king takes his oldest son and heir to the throne and sacrifices him on the wall of the city as a burnt offering. <laughs> no Father of the Year award for him. At this disgusting sight, the three kings turn and go home. We have a multiplying oil miracle in Second Kings chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take away my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, Go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels, do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons, then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debt. And you and your sons live on the rest. Oh, this widow's poor. 
She'd been the wife of one of those sons of the prophets. So what did women do back then if one's husband died, leaving her in debt? Well, many were forced to sell their kids into slavery to pay the debt. No bankruptcy court back then. Elisha comes to the rescue and turns her into an oil producer using borrowed pots. Sale of the oil will cover the debt, leaving enough to sustain her family afterwards. Then we have the barren woman that gives birth to a son in verse 8 down through verse 37. Verse 8. Now it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem, where there was a notable woman, and she persuaded him to eat some food. So it was, as often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. And she said to her husband, Look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Please let us make a small upper room on the wall, and let us put a bed for him there, and a table, and a chair, and a lampstand. So it will be whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. And it happened one day that he came there, and he turned into the upper room and lay down there. Then he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call this Shunammite woman. When he had called her, she stood before him. And he said to him, Say now to her, Look, you have been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. So he said, What then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, Actually, she has no son, and her husband is old. So he said, Call her. When he had called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said, About this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, No, my lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. But the woman conceived and bore a son when the appointed time had come, of which Elisha had told her, and the child grew. Now it happened one day that he went out to his father to the reapers, and said to his father, My head, my head. So he said to a servant, Carry him to his mother. When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon, and then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door upon him, and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, Please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys, that I may run to the man of God and come back. So he said, Why are you going to him today? It is neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. And she said, It is well. Then she saddled a donkey and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. And so she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. So it was, when the man of God saw her afar off, that he said to his servant Gehazi, Look, the Shunammite woman, please run now to meet her and say to her, Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your child? And she answered, It is well. Now when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet, but Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is in deep distress. The Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. So she said, Did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, Get yourself ready and take my staff in your hand and be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not answer him, but lay my staff on the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Now Gehazi went on ahead of them and laid the staff on the face of the child, and there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore he went back to meet him and told him, saying, The child has not awakened. Then Elisha came into the house. There was the child lying dead on his bed. He went in, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. 
And he went up and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself out on the child, and the flesh of the child became warm. He returned and walked back and forth in the house, and again went up and stretched himself out on him. Then the child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite woman. So he called her. And when she came in to him, he said, Pick up your son. So she went in, fell at his feet, and bowed to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. What gave fulfillment to a Semite woman? Well, it was childbirth, especially if it was a male child. That was a woman's retirement program, actually, sometimes representing the entire content of her financial portfolio. Well, this well-to-do Shunammite woman from Shunem, not far from the Sea of Galilee, she's barren and her husband is old. She's so hospitable to Elisha that he enables her to miraculously bear a son. When she gets the prophetic news regarding the future birth of a son, her answer to Elisha is amusing. She says, Do not lie to your maidservant. She said that in verse 16. After the appropriate time, she does bear a son. All is well, right? Well, wrong. In the process of growing, the child dies of a head injury after a nasty fall. She lays her dead son upon the bed where Elisha stayed when he was in town. Then she goes to find Elisha to see if there's any kind of prophetic warranty on her son. Upon her arrival, she makes an interesting remark in verse 28. She reminds Elisha of her initial reaction when Elisha told her that she would bear a son. Here's what she says. She says, Did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? Now, that's a woman who gets right to the point. Elisha's first attempt at the boy's resurrection through the efforts of his surrogate Gehazi using Elisha's staff, well, that fails. But persevering, Elisha moves into plan B by personally lying face down upon the dead boy. It works. The boy awakens into a sneezing fit seven in a row. And then that Elisha, he cooks too. Chapter 4, verses 38 to 44. And Elisha returned to Gilgal, and there was a famine in the land. Now the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, and he said to his servant, Put on the large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. So one went out into the field to gather herbs, and found a wild vine, and gathered from it a lap full of wild gourds, and came and sliced them into the pot of stew, though they did not know what they were. Then they served it to the men to eat. Now it happened as they were eating the stew that they cried out and said, Man of God, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat it. So he said, Then bring some flour. And he put it in the pot and said, Serve it to the people that they may eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. Then a man came from Baal Shalisha and brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, twenty loaves of barley bread and newly ripened grain in his knapsack. And he said, Give it to the people that they may eat. But his servant said, What? Shall I set this before one hundred men? He said again, Give it to the people that they may eat, for thus says the Lord, They shall eat and have some left over. So he set it before them, and they ate and had some left over, according to the word of the Lord. Well, Elijah is visiting with the Gilgal chapter of the sons of the prophets. In preparing a meal for the prophets, one of the servants goes out to find some additional ingredients. This looks good, he thinks. Let's pick some of these poison wild gourds for the stew. Well, never let this man cook again. He could have killed everybody. But it's nothing a little of Elisha's special recipe flour can't fix. 
Elisha throws it in, and the stew is restored. Everybody eats up. Oh, and don't worry about running out of bread for 100 guests. Elisha knows just how to stretch a meal. He'll get them all fed. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Fayette Bible Church, Paul Walker.